0: This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you do not have a Bible, Uh, We'd love to be able to get one to you, and so we actually have a bunch of extra Bibles that you can grab on your way out, and please just take that home as a gift, and then when you come back next time, you'll be able to have God's Word in front of you. This morning, we are finishing our series that we've been in, in this one chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, this series that we've entitled, Love Supernaturally. And what better thing to talk about at Christmas time than to talk about love? And so as you make your way to 1 Corinthians 13, I was recently rereading a book called Time Machine by H.G. Wells. I'm not sure if anyone else has ever read that book before or not, but it's about a guy who who makes a time machine and travels into the future, 805,000 A.D. He travels there and he meets some very scary creatures. We're not told how these creatures came to be. Uh, Growing up, I read this book actually as a fairly young child. Growing up, I tried to convince my mom that the reason that the species devolved into these scary creatures was because they ate too many Brussels sprouts. I hated Brussels sprouts and hate eating Brussels sprouts, and I do not mean to cause any parental issues now. Kids, if you're watching this, especially online, you have to eat whatever your parents put in front of you. But beware! You might devolve into something. At least that's how my, my logic went. My mom was... Was not, was not convinced. But but anyways, this guy, he, he goes to the future and he sees how bad things have gotten. And so when he goes back then to his own time, what he knew of the future changed how he sought to interact with the present. Back to the Future 2 kind of stole this storyline, right? In, in that movie, there's, there, they go into the future, right, to save Marty McFly's son. That future was 2015 and Let's be honest, if you've seen that movie, I was, pretty, I was pretty disappointed when we got to 2015. I'm like, where's my self-lacing shoes on my hoverboard? Like, this is lame. Like, you know, talk about all this progress we're supposed to have. Like, what have we actually accomplished? You know, I was very, very disappointed. But, but anyways, he goes into the future, and, and this sports book gets brought back, and the villain, Biff, which I don't know if there's a better classic villain than Biff, he finds this, this sports book and uses it to build a, a sports betting Empire. What he knew about the future changed what he was able to do in his present. Have you ever wished you could go back in time knowing what you now know? I think about an article that I read in 2004 uh, four or three about this new upstart company called Amazon. If I'd only known then what I knew now... <laughs> We would own this building because I'd be a billionaire. But um, as we come to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, God wants to give us a glimpse of the future that is meant to change the choices and decisions that we make here in the present. This whole chapter has been about love. Not love as a romantic feeling, but love as our joyful response to God's love for us, demonstrated by a desire to do good to others because we hold them as dear to our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13 has not been some kind of sappy, hallmark movie love. Not some Christmas feel-good special. No, we've seen this has been a costly love. This has been a love that's willing to be patient. A love that has a commitment to be kind. A love that refuses to envy. That is unwilling to draw attention to ourselves through boasting. It, we've seen it, it's a love that, that's not going to be irritable. And it's a love that will not hold on to resentments. It's a love that will not insist on its own way. Nor does it rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. This has been a love that does not let go. Especially when things get tough. It's a love that's committed to believing the best about a person and the promises of God. And so it's a love that meets any situation with unwavering hope in the redemption of God. That, that, that's the kind of love that God's been talking to us about in 1 Corinthians 13. And as we come here to a close and look at the final verses, verses 8 through 13, God wants us to know this kind of love that we've been seeing, this is not love that is optional. It's not just a nice add-on to our Christian lives if we get the space and time to add it into our already busy schedules. No, what we're going to see this morning is that this kind of love is not optional. It is essential because it is eternal. In the future, there will be nothing more valuable than love. And so God wants us to see a glimpse of that future so that we pursue love now in the present. I'm going to tell you this morning's sermon, Love, Eternity, and Today. Let us read together, as has been our practice, the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. But again, we are going to be focusing on verses 8 through 13. I will read it. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. Now we know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Would you bow your heads with me that the Holy Spirit would attend our time together through the preaching of God's Word. God, as we see and read these words that You inspired Your servant Paul, to write to that ancient city of Corinth, the church that gathered there. Lord, as we, Your church, are gathered here in Philadelphia, I pray, Lord God, that Your Holy Spirit would have Your way with us, that that which You have inspired, You would now illuminate, that we might see You, we might hear from You, and by Your grace, we might be changed by You. Lord, help us to worship you through this time together. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we come to these closing verses, we see Paul contrasting the now, the present, with the, the then, the future. And there's really just one simple idea that he is presenting. And I think that idea can be stated like this Pursue love intentionally. Because love lasts for eternity. Pursue love intentionally because love lasts for eternity. We're going to look at two things this morning. We're going to look at why love lasts forever and what that means for us now. Why love lasts forever. In verse 8, Paul names some fairly significant spiritual gifts. He talks about prophecy which we see then defined in chapter 14 as God bringing revelation to someone's mind spontaneously that is always submitted to Holy Scripture. We see Him talking about tongues, which in Scripture is is either the ability to speak a foreign language in a supernatural way to communicate the Gospel, think Acts chapter 2, or it's the spiritual gift of being able to pray in a heavenly language, think Romans chapter 8. He talks about the spiritual gift of knowledge, which refers to how the the Holy Spirit can empower some to speak with godly wisdom into a variety of situations on the basis of Scripture. And each of these gifts are good things. Paul starts this letter to the church in Corinth in chapter 1 by commending this church for how they were not lacking in any of these spiritual gifts, but were being enriched by them. These are good things. But the problem with the Corinthians is that they had made them into ultimate things. They were finding their identity and having these gifts. They were using these gifts to act like they were spiritually superior to other people. And so these gifts were causing harmony and discord. Because whenever you use a gift that God has given you to glorify Himself and instead use it to elevate yourself, you have now put yourself in the place of God. Gifts are meant to be about pointing to the giver. But if I'm finding my identity in my ability, that I'm using the gift God has given to draw people to His praise and instead redirecting you to my worship. And this creates relational distance between us and God, because now our purposes are at odds with each other. And not only does this create relational distance between us and God, but it creates relational distance between us and other people. Because if I'm trying to elevate myself to have my identity come from you thinking I'm great, that means that what I need from you is for you to think that I'm better than others. And so now my life is not about doing good for others. But now I'm actually in competition with others. You see, when we are after self-worship, not only are we rejecting worship of the one true God, we are putting ourselves at odds with others because we are competing for people's praise. That's the church in Corinth. And let's be honest, that can be us as well, can't Kim. Now, Paul is not saying that we should deny having spiritual gifts. No, in chapter 4, he's going to actually exhort this church And God exhorts us to pursue them and pursue them eagerly. We should not pursue them without understanding the point of them. And we can know what they're used for by seeing why God says in the future they will no longer be needed. God says prophecy and knowledge are going to go away because now these things only take place in part. But when we are with God forever in heaven, in verse 10, that's what the the word perfect means. The perfect is the perfect world that we are created to enjoy with God forever. When that perfect comes, then we will see everything about God because we're going to be with God. So we're not going to need knowledge and prophecy. We're just going to be with Him. We're we're told now in in verse 12 that all that we see is is just but in a mirror Dimly, or try to look at something that's in dim lighting. the other morning actually it was more the middle of the night our youngest child came into our room and, and woke me up. And I think one of the greatest demonstrations of God's grace is that I wake up and do not kill my children in that moment, but actually receive them with love. The Lord can work miracles. And I open my eyes, and all I see is this vague blob of a figure. And so what do I do? I get up and I turn the lights on so that now I can see him fully and understand what's going on. See, friends, all the gifts of, of prophecy and knowledge, they're given because we are currently living in a time where the lighting is not that good. We are not seeing things particularly clearly. God gives us some glimpses, but those glimpses are nothing compared to having the lights turned fully on like we will in the new perfect world where we'll dwell with God face to face. You see, spiritual gifts won't last because in the future they won't be needed. We'll just be with God. Love will still be needed though because love is not a means to an end. Love is the end. Love is the point. You see, God gave us spiritual gifts so that our hearts would be built up in love for Him. And he gave us these gifts to help build others up in love for him. 1 Corinthians 12, that's the whole point of that chapter. And so so spiritual gifts are given to build ourselves up in love. But love is greater than any spiritual gift because all spiritual gifts are doing is pointing us to love. Gifts are the means. Love is the end. And so when we get to heaven, we're not going to need anything to build us up in love with God. Nor do we need anything to help build others up. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna be with God. And so spiritual gifts won't last, but love, oh, love still will. Paul really ups the ante about the lasting nature of love when in verse 13 he writes that love is greater even than faith and hope. Those three things: faith, hope, and love, they show up together in the Bible, all over the place. They are called the divine triad. You never really see one without the other, because like a three-legged stool, they're all needed to hold us up in our walk with God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says that faith is the assurance of things promised, the conviction of things unseen. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a teaching tool that's been used for generations to explain truths about the Bible. It defines faith as receiving and resting upon Jesus alone for salvation. That's faith. That's faith. Hope in the Bible has a future orientation towards it. Hope is confidence in God's future promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And when we have this hope, it empowers us to live with peace no matter what's happening in our present because we know our future with God is bright. And so these things are necessary to help us walk with God. That's what most commentators say Paul means when, when he says that they, they abide. Right? The gifts of prophecy, knowledge, and tongues, they don't come to everyone. They don't abide in everyone. Different people have different gifts, but in order to be a Christian, every Christian needs faith and hope abiding in them. But Paul says that love is greater than even these things. Because similar to the spiritual gifts, faith and hope will also one day go away. I mean, friends, isn't the greatest glory of heaven going to be that our faith is going to be turned to sight as we get to see God face to face? One of the things I really enjoy about being the Phillies team chaplain is when I get to watch kids light up when they get to meet one of their heroes. I'll be walking out from Bible study with some of the players and the kids are lined up against the fence with their baseballs stretched out and the guys will stop and they'll sign autographs and they'll talk with them and and you see these kids you know they just light up and then they look at me with a confused glance. Who are you? What are you doing? It's a constant check on my pride to be reminded I'm a nobody. I go home and just spend time with my dog. It's like you think I'm great, right? You know, you light up when I come in the door. But but these kids, they get so excited when someone they've only seen on TV, they get to meet in person. Friends, that is nothing to what we'll feel when we get to see the one our souls were made to enjoy forever. We get to see the creator of all life, the author of all existence, the glorious, majestic King of kings and Lord of lords. Like we're going to get to see him. And we won't need faith because he's just going to be with us. And the radiance of his presence is such that the city of heaven needs no light because God's glory shines brighter than a thousand suns. Faith won't last forever. Glory be to God. And hope won't last forever. Because one day we won't be hoping for the fulfillment of God's promises. No, we're going to be living in that fulfillment and praising God for it. And so faith and hope are important to have now. We need them now. The point here is not to see these things as not valuable, but rather to understand they are not permanent. One day, each of these things will be replaced by something greater than itself. Gifts will give way to the giver, faith to sight, hope to fulfillment. But love will not give way to anything because there is nothing greater than love. We were made by God to love Him. Because people are made in the image of him, this means part of loving him has to be loving other people. We were made to love, and there's no expiration date on this divine purpose. And so this is why love lasts forever. Let's consider now what that means for us here in the present. What this means for us now. I'm going to cheat a little bit because I said that we were only going to be covering chapter 13, but right after chapter 13, Paul goes straight into application. And it's an application that we need to hear. And so if you have your Bible still open, uh, just look down to verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. If love lasts forever, here's what that means we should be doing now. The first two words, pursue love. How do we, how do we apply this? We pursue love. That word pursue is so important. Because pursuing something means that significant effort and intentionality is required. Like when things come easily, we don't say that we are pursuing it. You know, if I'm in the middle of a Chick-fil-A drive through and they ask me, what can I get for you? I don't say, I'd like to pursue eating a chicken sandwich. You might try to deny me, but I will not be denied, right? Like, like that's not what we do. We just ask for our food. They ask for our money, and it's just a nice, easy exchange, and we enjoy goodness. We don't have to pursue things that come easily. We don't have to pursue getting a ticket from the PPA. They will hunt you down and find you. If you are five seconds over your time limit, like nothing else in our government works on time or has any sense to it, but that, they are a machine. They will find you and get you. You do not have to pursue it at all. Pursuing something means that we are giving intentional effort my junior year of college, when I started to develop a friendship with my now wife, Angie, I realized very quickly this is someone that I wanted to pursue. I did not just sit back and let go and let God. It's like, no, because I valued her, there was an intentional effort spent to get to know her and build a relationship with her. And by God's grace, that effort has not stopped for the past 15 years and won't until I die. And I do plan on dying first. Pursuing means giving intentional effort. And this should be our response to all that we've learned in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Since love is the most valuable thing in existence, because it is our divine purpose that will bring a soul satisfying, God glorifying joy for eternity, friends, then what better pursuit, what better ambition could we give ourselves to than learning how to love right here and now? And you know, God loves us. And so, God. Is going to give us plenty of opportunities to love him by loving others. The challenge, though, is that often God gives this kind of opportunity in the packaging of adversity. If you look at how love is described in chapter in verses four through seven, if you think about these are all things that only take place in the presence of challenges. And so I don't need patience to do things that I enjoy. I don't need patience to do things that come easily. Like tell me to sit down and eat a cheesesteak. I will sit there and I'll eat that cheesesteak all afternoon and just keep them coming. I might look small, but I can pack them down, I promise you. But I do need patience when something does not get done in the time frame that I think it should get done in by the person who I think should have done it in that moment. I'm tempted to get angry. But what's happening in that moment is it's not just a moment of temptation. It's a moment of opportunity. God is giving me the opportunity to love. Because love is patient. It does not blow up quickly. It's got a long fuse. You see, the opportunity to grow does not come in the context of comfort. Like I'm not Tempted to be boastful when I'm already getting people's praise. I'm tempted to be boastful when I feel like I'm not getting my due. I'm not tempted to hold on to resentments when people are being nice to me. I'm tempted to hold on to resentments when someone has hurt me. Most opportunities to love come to us in the form of adversities. But what this is telling us is that God wants us to Run towards these types of things, to embrace them, to pursue them with intentional effort. And this is a total paradigm shift from the world. Because what does this world tell us? This world tells us to chase comfort and ease. And so if a relationship gets tough, just move on. If it's not making you happy, it's not worth your time. But friends, what God is telling us is that what should mean the most to us is not our happiness, but our holiness. Not what comes easy, but what makes us look the most like Him. See, God wants us to know the beauty of His holy love. He wants us to know it, and He wants us to show it. And His love is different from anything else in the rest of this world. And He wants us to show off the beauty of His holy love through how we love one another. And so we're going to have to love a little differently than the world. Henry Drummond was a Scottish pastor. and He wrote a little booklet called The Greatest Thing in the World. It's, a, it's all about 1 Corinthians 13. If you still have a couple more books to get done for your 2021 checklist, I commend it to you. You probably read it in about 45 minutes. So there you go. At least you get one book done this year. Uh, one of the things he writes in that is this. Is life not full of opportunities for learning love? Every man and woman every day has a thousand of them. The world is not a playground, it is a schoolroom. Life is not a holiday, but an education. And the one eternal lesson for us all is how better we can love. And the constituents of this great character are only to be built up by ceaseless practice. Do not quarrel, therefore, with your lot in life. Do not complain of its never-ceasing cares, its petty environments, the vexations you have to stand, the small and sordid souls you have to deal with. Above all, do not resent temptation. That is the practice which God appoints you. And it is having its work in making you patient And humble and generous and unselfish and kind and courteous. Therefore, keep in the midst of life. Do not isolate yourself. Be among people and things and among troubles and difficulties and obstacles. This is where we learn to love. Do you see what he's saying? In order to love, we cannot isolate ourselves. We have to be around people to love. But guess what? Being around people can present us with temptations. Spend some time with sinners, and at some point they're going to start sinning against you. And then your sin's going to want to interact with that, and it becomes a whole big mess. They can honestly just be a lot easier to avoid. And in our culture of busyness, how easy it is to avoid things. Because there's always something else to do. There's always something else that we can give our time to. A couple more hours we can pick up at work instead of taking the time to build relationships with other people. I ask you this morning, what lessons have you perhaps been avoiding because you've not been willing to engage in something that's difficult? How isolated are you? Who do you really know? And who really knows you? What does your schedule and priorities say about how valuable you believe loving others really is? Friends, I'm not trying to give us a checklist right now. I'm trying to give us a heart check. What do I really believe about the value of love? Do I agree with what God says about the value of love? Here's the thing though, learning to love, it's gonna be a class that we will never graduate from. Life is the continued school of learning to love. And so how do you continue to pursue something that you know you'll never fully attain, like how do you continue to pursue that without becoming discouraged by it? My senior year of high school, I tried to go really hard after getting a basketball Scholarship, and I was training for this, I mean, really hours every day. But then I came to find out that they don't give out many basketball scholarships to 5'10 white guys who can't jump. Who knew? And so even though I continued to still enjoy playing basketball, when I didn't get the scholarship, my training slacked off. I didn't give the same effort because I knew I could never attain my desired goal. And I think we can be tempted to feel like that with love. Like, I'm never going to be able to be perfectly patient. I'm never going to be able to be able to bear with others and just believe all the promises of God and hope for the future. I can't do these things perfectly, so, so, so how can I sustain effort in pursuing something that I know I'll not be able to actually fully do? Well, friends, here's how we pursue it. We pursue it by understanding that we are pursuing something that we have already received. God is not asking us to pursue love in order to get us on His team. He's giving us these opportunities to love because we are already on His team. And we got on that team because Jesus is our scholarship. A scholarship that we did not earn, but a scholarship that will more than pay our way. And our pursuit of others is meant to be fueled by the security of knowing how much we are already loved by God. Even as we try and often fail to love, friends, in those very moments, we're still being loved by the God of grace. And this is really what the Christmas story is all about, isn't it? The Christmas story is not about how God waited in heaven for us to get our act together. No, it's about how God came to earth and the creator became created. The one who spoke the world into existence, humbled himself to have to use his lungs to cry for his mother's milk. The immortal put on mortality so that he could be killed in our place because the wages of sin is death. And that's the wage that God's justice demand that he pay out. But it's a wage that Jesus was willing to take in our place because God loves us. God was born in a manger so that he could die on the cross. And one of our responses to that has to be 1 John 4, verse 19. We love. We love because he first loved us. I'm going to close with this. It's a book called Master and Commander. It's later made into a movie by Russell Crowe and it's about a captain who is tasked to go overcome Napoleon's most feared warship, the way the story goes is that he's finally able to get alongside this warship and they take a, a shot and that shot takes out the main mast that ship can't go anywhere and so they, they board that ship and they begin a, a fight they they, they, start, they start to fight their way down into the hold where there are a bunch of English Prisoners in chains. And this commander comes and he cuts through the chains. He frees the prisoners. They break out of the hold. They are liberated. Huzzah! You know, it's this great moment. But as they come above deck, they're each handed a sword because there's a battle that's still being fought. And these men who were once scared, defeated, and hopeless in that prison cell, they now fight. With vigor and valor. Because when you know you've been fought for, that changes how much you're willing to fight. And when you know that your master and commander is fighting with you, that fills you with courage you did not previously have. Friends, as we see this daunting task of love, how we are fueled to fight that fight of faith, to love others in the name of Jesus. How we are fueled for that fight is by knowing how God has come and how He has fought for us. Through His sacrifice of love, we have been given Freedom. We are no longer those who are bound by our failures, who are bound by our regrets, who live in the chains even of our own inabilities. No, as we see this call to love, God wants us to know that He in love has fought for us and He is still fighting by our side. So take up your sword and fight to be patient and fight to be kind and fight off resentments and pride and selfishness. Fight for love because you've been fought for with love. This is what it means to love supernaturally. It means that our love does not come from us, but is empowered by knowing what God has done for us. And so, oh Christ Church, may it be known in South Philadelphia that Jesus is here in our midst through the supernatural love we have for one another, and for our neighbors around us. To the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray.